many of y'all ready to get into the word today? All right. If you got a Bible, go to Luke 18. Luke 18. Yeah. Come on, we can shout louder than that. Y'all are shouting like, oh, you lost yesterday or something. We need to shake off that depression this morning. Come on, we still got a purpose. We still got, listen, we need to shout when we open up the Bible for the first scripture. It's like our first touchdown. Luke 18, verse 8. Woo! Let's go. All right, here we go. Thank you so much for playing keys. I'll call you back up in just a minute. The keys are just so peaceful, but it kind of gets us into this, in this somber mode. How many are thankful for the worship team here at Victory? They do a great job. Okay, Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus was talking about persistence. And right before this scripture, he was telling the story about this woman who wouldn't stop praying. She wouldn't give up. Um, if, you're, if you're taking notes, you can just title this message, Imagine the Possibilities. Imagine the Possibilities. So this woman, she is, she's demanding this judge to give her justice for her son. And she won't stop knocking. She won't stop seeking. She won't stop pounding on this man's door. And Jesus says, persistence gets the victory. Persistence wins. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. Turn to someone next to you and say, if you don't quit, you win. I remember Bishop T.D. Jake said that to me right after my father passed away. I was discouraged. I felt like giving up. I was angry. And he said, Paul, if you don't quit, you win. If victory doesn't quit, you win. Here we are 12 years since my father passed, and we are still seeing the victory. If you don't quit, you win. And so Jesus is teaching this story about not throwing in the towel, not giving up, not quitting, not not stopping in your prayers and your worship and your persistence. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, I tell you that you will see justice if you don't give up. However, when the Son of Man returns, and by the way, Jesus is coming back again. I'm telling you, he died, he rose from the grave, he went to heaven, but he is coming back again, and he is bringing his reward for you, and it is worth it to follow him, and there's a whole lot of darkness in the world, but I'm telling you that God is preparing his church to shine bright as a bride that he is returning for, and there will be a wedding feast with the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will join together with those who have died, who rise first in Christ and we will join in heaven, and then he's coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth. Come on, we're gonna have church this morning. I came to preach, I haven't preached enough lately. And so Jesus says, I'm coming back, but when I come back, will I find any faith? Will I find a church that's full of fear or a church that's full of faith? One of the biggest convictions I had when the pandemic hit was this scripture right here. When the pandemic hit and people were shutting down their church, closing their doors, I went to Luke 18, verse 8, and I said, I don't want to be found in fear. I want to be found in faith. If Jesus comes back in this pandemic, I want him to find a church called Victory that is fully alive, fully awake, fully open, fully operational, and fully reaching our community and the nations of the world. So we're supposed to be living with faith. And Jesus says, when I come back, I'm looking for people who are full of faith. Will he find faith on the earth? The definition for faith is found in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The room you're sitting in started 
as an imagination of faith. It requires imagination to live with faith, right? Imagination is, is, is seeing something that you don't see in the natural. Um, like I'm in this season right now where I'm telling stories every night to my kids. And I've stopped reading books. Like, I just want to tell stories. And so um, Liam and Benai, we got five kids, so it's a, it's a lot of story time. And um, I sit down with them, and, you know, Liam's like, what are you going to tell us tonight? Are you going to read a book? And I'm like, no, I'm not reading a book. I'm telling you a story, <laughs> you know. And, and he says, okay, what is it? I go, once upon a time in a land far, far away, there lived a dragon. And Liam's like, you are really good at this. You need to do this for a living. And I was like, I do. <laughs> he goes, you're really good at telling stories. He, I, I get so much affirmation and confidence from Liam and Benaya. They're always telling me I'm good at this. Um, but, but, but I use my imagination. And every night I'm coming up with new stories and new characters. And there's a prince and a princess. And, and there's an evil guy. And he's coming after, you know. And Liam's like, what about Mac? What's he in the story? And I'm telling how each of them fit into the story. It requires imagination to live with faith. Faith is the substance of things that you don't see in the natural, but you see in the spiritual realm. Even in the last month, I've been to three funerals. And, and, and my mother-in-law passed away, and, and, and my wife and I, we were sitting and talking, and, and, and she said, I can just imagine my mom up in heaven. It reminds me of that, that song, I Can Only Imagine. Because it requires an imagination as a believer to see something that you don't see. When my dad passed away, I had to imagine. I can imagine he's standing in heaven. And I can imagine he's walking through the gates. And he's walking on streets of gold. Well, did you see it with your own eyes? No. But I can see it in here. Imagine. Imagine. I think the older we get, we lose our imagination. We become stale and stubborn and logical and deconstructing our theology because we're so intelligent and we've reached our maximum intelligence at age 25. And so, you know, we know it all and, and we stop imagining. We think imagination is for kids, but Jesus says you cannot come into the kingdom unless you become like one of these children. And the thing I love about kids is they just have big imaginations. I'm sitting with them and they're like, daddy, I think I saw Gigi in my dreams last night. I think I I think I saw Papa Joe in heaven and he was talking to the angels and they were flying through the clouds. And I'm like, yes, tell me more. Because the older we get, we only talk about what we see out here. But you're sitting in a room that was once seen in here. In 1985, Billy Joe Doherty, a, 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 a transfer student from Southern Arkansas, University from Magnolia, Arkansas, came to Tulsa, Oklahoma with his girlfriend, Sharon. And Sharon and Billy Joe got married, and they started Victory Church in 81. And they're driving down the street as we were renting out the Maybe Center for the first time. And they looked at a cow pasture across the street because this whole street was just one big cow pasture. There was no Walmart. There were no buildings over here. There was no Sonic or hotel. There was none of that stuff, right? There was no McAllisters, just cow pastures. But Billy Joe looked past the cow pastures. And sometimes you got to close your eyes to see. And he started to imagine the possibilities. I see a church for the unchurched. I see a 5,000-seat auditorium packed with people coming. 
altars filled with couples and families being restored, prodigal sons coming home. I see a school with computer labs. What's a computer? I don't know, but we're going to teach kids how to use it. You got to remember in the 80s that computers were like, nobody had a computer. But my dad was dreaming that we would have computer labs and we would have a, an indoor track and a basketball court and a football field. What's it all for? So that more boys and girls and families can experience Jesus and victory and a Christian worldview and grow up in a house where they feel loved and accepted. And then he started dreaming about the dream center and the camp and the school and you're sitting in someone's imagination. Anytime you go to a theme park, it started as an imagination. Walt Disney even has a whole department called the Imagineering Team. They imagine and they engineer and they just sit and they think and they come up with ideas and they go for it. And the church should be the biggest Imagineering station in the world because we're called to live by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you might tell me, well, Paul, I have faith. I confess Jesus as Lord of my life. That's just the beginning. That's just the prayer. That's the opening statement. From there, faith without works is. You tell me you have faith. How are you walking in obedience to God's word? What is faith? Faith is believing that what Jesus said is true and living your life as if his words are meaningful to your lifestyle. Right? Because a belief that's just made up of words is no belief at all. It's got to have actions. It's got to have this, this results. Like if Jesus is calling you to step out of the boat and walk on water, if he's calling you to do something that's beyond your comfort zone, it's because he wants you to live a life of faith. He wants you to imagine the possibilities. I heard this story when I was younger about this frog, and, um, and it, it changed my life. And this frog had grown up his whole life in this old well. And we'll just call this frog Fred, Freddy the Frog. I want to show you his well. This was, this was his home right here. So, so Fred was born in this well um, to Francesco, 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 and Felipe. Um, uh, the, hold on. <laughs> Francesca and Felipe. Uh, <laughs> so Fred had a, a mom and dad, and they were... <laughs> Down in the well. Go down, go. This is Fred's life right here. Fred and Francesca, his mom, and Felipe, his father, and Frankie, his brother. We're gonna go somewhere with this frog story. Just hang with me. I got it right in the last services. This was Fred's vision his whole life. Fred and his family and all of Fred's friends, all they saw was the sky right outside the well. That's all they thought there was. This was it. The well was it. The well was as good as it gets. And, and so Fred, he's, every day, he's content with the well. He's jumping in the puddles. He's jumping from side to side until one day Fred gets this thought, I wonder what's at the top. I wonder what's above this well that I've been born in my whole life that, that my mom, Francesca, told me about and my dad, Felipe, told me about and my brother, Frankie, and all of my friend frogs. And so Fred starts hopping to the top. And he hops from side to side till he gets to the top. And once he gets to the top, Fred begins to hop across the countryside. And Fred begins to see the beautiful creation that God had made. He never knew it was outside the well until he decided to jump out. 
And once he began to jump across the country, that's the Grand Canyon, by the way. These are all real pictures, not photoshopped. Vermont, he began to hop across New England and Canada, and then he hopped on a boat and went to Australia. He went over to the Philippines. He began to see all the different oceans and the different continents, and then he went to Havasu Falls down into the Grand Canyon, and he saw the bluest water he had ever seen. He saw parts of Ireland and parts of Eastern Europe and Croatia, and he thought, what in the world? How did I not know this existed? Because my whole life I've been living in this well. And he didn't realize this existed outside the well. And I think so many of us, we get stuck in certain thinking and we think this is as good as it gets. This is all I have. And yet God says, have you seen what I made? Do you not know that I'm the God who names every star, who created the cosmos and the galaxies and seas on top of seas and mountains on top of mountains and mountains that get lost in the clouds and you can't even figure out where the mountains ended and the clouds began? Do you not know that I have new clouds every single day and I'm the God who changes the colors of the leaves even in Tulsa? Oklahoma. Yeah, Fred the Frog jumped all the way over to Tulsa and he saw the most beautiful mountain, Turkey Mountain. Don't you diss Turkey Mountain. Turkey Mountain stands 55 feet tall. <laughs> when people come to Tulsa from Colorado, they're like, what do you call that? It's a mountain. It's our mountain. I'm proud of our mountain. Y'all, this was taken this morning at 7.30 a.m. I was preaching last night. One of the church members said, Paul, have you seen how the leaves have changed on Turkey Mountain? I said, oh, yeah. I love our city, by the way. I, I think we live in one of the most beautiful places. Look at the Arkansas River. <laughs> Just look at it. <laughs> Even when it's not full, it's still something to look at. Get outside your well, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. But he took the picture, and I'm looking at this, and I go, was this taken this morning? He said, this morning. I took my drone out, and I wanted the church to see how pretty Turkey Mountain looks. And you know, you can laugh at it. You can make fun. But listen, there is something beautiful about God's creation. Every tree is different. Every leaf is different. And then it changes. And, and then you look at the ocean, and you look at the creeks and the rivers, and you go, God, you're incredible. Fred was stuck in this well of thinking, and sometimes I get there too. And sometimes I feel that way too. Even, even this morning when I was standing, I was worshiping on, on, on my seat that I normally sit in over there. I thought, I got to get out. Like, I, I got I to gotta walk across this room because there's more happening in this room than what I can see on the front row. And I was worshiping on the front row, and all I could see was the people on the stage, and I would turn around and Beautiful people worshiping God right behind me. But when I started walking to the back and I started seeing different people back here worshiping who showed up to church even in their wheelchair, who came in their walker, people who came this weekend because they believed God had a plan for their life. And I started tearing up because I realized there's so much more happening outside of my own well. And then I came across some of our veterans that were wearing their veterans hats. And I just want all of our veterans to stand up. Because I was looking at some of y'all who have fought for our country, who served our country. And as I was walking through the room, stay standing. Come on, let's cheer on those who have 
given their time, their sacrifice for our freedoms. And I realized, man, sometimes I am so stuck in my own well. And I forget that there's people all around me that are going through things and they're worshiping God and it's beautiful to behold. And it, it takes faith. It takes faith. I think some of us in this room, we're stuck in our own well. We're having our own pity party. This, this past week, I was watching Paw Patrol with my kids. Super spiritual. Ryder and Chase and Zuma and Rocky, you know, all of them. And um, Liam goes, pause the movie, Daddy. And so I push pause and he goes, did you hear what they said? I said, what did they say? He said, they said a big word. I said, what was it? He said, negativity. I said, yeah. And he goes, what does that mean? I go, I'm glad you asked me that. I said, you know, when you start complaining about your food and you won't eat the veggies that mommy and I made, and when you and Benny start murmuring, he goes, what's murmuring? I go, well, I'm glad you asked that too. I said, when you guys, that's what the Israelites did when they were frustrated with God. And they were murmuring and complaining, and it was spreading like a virus. He said, what's a virus? I said, I'm glad you asked about that one. It took me about 15 minutes to explain negativity. But I said, negativity is an attitude. It's a spirit. He said, what's a spirit? I said, I, okay, let me, let me explain something. I said, you know when we're laughing, we're having fun, we're doing like a family dance party, and we're jumping around and smiling. I said, that's a spirit. There's a spirit of joy, life, positivity. He said, what's positivity? I said, it's the opposite of negativity. But it's, it's, when, it's when your attitude is right. And he said, so negativity is when my attitude's wrong. I said, yeah. And I said, so often we get stuck in that. We get stuck in a well of negativity. And we start looking down and we come to church and we're cynical about this and we're upset about that. We're offended by this. We're getting petty and we're, we're analyzing and we're overthinking and we're stuck in a well. And it could be negative about ourselves, like we're just putting ourselves down. I wish, I, I wish this was different. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I had a little less this here, and I wish I had a little bit more up here, and I wish I had, you know, and, and, we're, and we're in this well, and God says, look up. Look around. There's so much more happening around you, and there's so much more to worship about than there is to complain about. And there's so much more I want to do through my church if my church will just come up out of the well that they got stuck in. You know, the people of God got stuck in a well of negativity during their time. When they left Egypt, God, for some reason, couldn't get Egypt out of them. And it required faith for them to inherit the promised land. God had a future for them. It was going to be big. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be great. It was like what you saw, those pictures. I mean, it was waterfalls and rivers and, and Turkey Mountain type of mountains and big Swiss Alp type of mountains. And, and God had something great for the Israelites, but they were stuck in their own well of apathy. And I wonder how many Christians are stuck in a well of apathy where we have just settled. We just come in. We just hope for the best, but expect the worst. We've stopped dreaming, we've stopped stretching, we've stopped believing, we've stopped contending, we've stopped uh, hoping that God could do something great because we're, we're disappointed, we're discouraged, we're negative, and God says, come up from that well.
Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think or imagine. Let me stop. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in the promised land. Our faith is not in a church or a president or a government or a scientist who's trying to figure out COVID still. Our faith is in the creator of the universe who made the stars and the sky and Yosemite National Park and Grand Canyon and Turkey Mountain and the Arkansas River and the Mediterranean Sea. That same God, he says, I see you and I'm able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask, hope, dream, or imagine. And I'm setting all this up because I think some of us need to start dreaming again. Some of us need to stir our vision up to go, God, what do you want to do through me? Some of you have accomplished certain things and and you think you're done. Like you've arrived, you've crossed the finish line and God says, hold up. If there's breath in your lungs, I'm not done with you. I have more I want to do through you. The world needs Christians who are fully alive, who are dreaming with God. And and we're told by some some believers, "You you need to play it safe. You need to think small. You need to suffer the the rest of your life as Christ suffered. You need to live in poverty. You need to not dream big. You need to not imagine big. You need to make sure you stay small. You got to be a worm, like a worm theology. We're just going to worm our way through the earth, and we're going to stay low, low, low. And yet God says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And I've given you the same covenant that I gave to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 29 says you're the seed of Abraham. And I gave a blessing to Abraham that his children's children's children would be blessed. And not blessing so that they live in a bigger house, but a blessing that they could serve the nations of the earth. And if I put you in America, don't you dare take it for granted. I want you to serve the nations of the earth. I want you to use your resources, your talents, your treasures, your time, your money, your blessings, your opportunities that other people... People aren't getting to go and rescue kids in Afghanistan, to go and feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. If you only realized how blessed you are and you started stretching your faith to go, God, what do you want to do with this blessing? These opportunities. Someone could take the opportunities you have and do so much more than what you're doing with them. There's people in, in other countries that are just dying to live in your spot. And you go, well, I just don't know. I'm just frustrated because my Wi-Fi is not working. (laughs) First world problems. And God says, come out of that well. Come out of that well of toxic theology that you've been thinking that I don't want to bless you to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Come out of that well of cynical attitudes that you carry toward preachers who are trying to stir you up with crazy faith because they think God wants to do something great in your family and in your children's children and in those people in your life that need to know there's a God who loves them. Well, if you guys would just do, do a little bit more. If you guys, listen, God wants to use you to do something great in your generation. God wants to use you to change the community. And so often we're complaining, why doesn't the church do this? You are the church. Why doesn't the White House fix this? Because God instituted the church to fix it, not the White House to fix it. We could eliminate poverty in our city. We could give everybody an opportunity. But it starts with believers believing the word of God is true and believing that the same God who provided 
for these guys and these girls back then wants to provide for you. Not so that you can have all the blessing for yourself, but so that you can be a blessing to the nations of the earth. What Fred needed to get outside the well wasn't just for him. It was to get his family out of the well. To say, hey, there is more for our family beyond our comfort zone and our lack mentality that we have been limiting ourselves with. Every single person has a cap, a lid, and we put it on. We say, this is as good as it gets. This is as far as I go. This is where my family gets to until some kid says, no, I'm going to be the first in my family to graduate from university. I'm going to be the first in my family to break the generational curse of alcoholism and domestic disturbance that's been messing with my house since I was a kid. I'll be the first in my family to drive a car that's debt free. I'll be the first in my family to buy a house for my grandma. Come on, somebody needs to start dreaming with God to imagine the possibilities. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than Tulsa. But until you take that lid off, you're stuck with the lack mentality. And then you complain anytime there's a message of faith. Oh, I just wish they would preach about suffering because that's comfortable for you. And Christ goes, yes, you suffer as I suffer, but you triumph as I triumph too. The same suffering that Christ went through, you will go through. But unnecessary suffering for stupid financial decisions is not what he was talking about. He's talking about suffering for preaching the gospel. And I'm telling you, the reason why we're able to preach the gospel to the nations is because there's people in the 80s that were dreaming of building a church and getting getting cameras so that we could stream this to people in other nations and it costs money. And so you got guys and girls who started companies and businesses and had strategies so that Tulsa, Oklahoma would prosper, so that God would use churches like Transformation and Victory and Life Church and Church on the Move and churches around our nation that would impact the nations. Did you know that the majority of the hospitals that have been started around the world were started by churches? Look in Tulsa, you got St. Francis started by the church. St. John started by the church. Continues to be paid for by the church. Almost every hospital that's meeting practical needs, medical needs, was started and established and built by churches who had dreams to go, what can we do for our city? Not just preach on Sundays, but help them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's start schools. Let's start dream centers. Let's start orphanages. Let's get every foster care kid out of the foster care system. Let's make sure every kid has a chance. Let's make sure every family has an opportunity to be used by God in a great way, but it starts with thinking like God thinks. Imagine the possibilities if you started to dream with God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, hope, dream, or imagine. So I want to go to Genesis 15 because there was a guy that I can relate to that was frustrated with God. And if he was sitting in the church service today, he would be taking a bathroom break right now. His name was Abram. Before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And Abram was a tither before there was even tithing that existed. Moses had not given the laws. Moses wasn't even born yet. There was no Ten Commandments. This is Genesis 15. It's a few chapters after Noah and the ark and Adam and Eve. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of theology being discussed. And yet this guy named Abram loves God gives 10% of his resources, his wealth, and his finances to God, and he prays to God, and he asks God, God, would you give me kids? Because my wife and I, we can't have children, 
and our friends are having kids, and our relatives are having kids, and we got married thinking we were going to be able to have kids, and we can't have kids. And Abram's angry at God. He's a church-going person, and he's angry and frustrated. And he's been tithing, he's been doing what he knows to do, and he hasn't seen the turnaround. He's been asking God for 10 years. When we pick up in Genesis 15, it's been 10 years. Abram's heard prophecies from people, like words of knowledge, you're gonna have kids. And Abram's like, don't you tell me that again. Don't give me another prophecy, don't give me another word of discernment, I've heard it all. You're gonna get married, bro. Don't keep telling me stuff, don't keep feeding my dreams unless God's actually gonna do it. That's where Abram's at. And after these things, in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid, Abram. Those words right there, let me stop. Those words are spoken from Genesis to Revelation. Do not be afraid. The key to living with an imagination, the key to living with faith is to make sure that fear does not grip your heart. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You have not been given a spirit of fear. Do not be afraid, Abram. And then God says, I am your shield, I am your great reward. Now, that's really nice. And Abram, we're about to hear what Abram has to say back to God. Because the words sound beautiful. I'm your shield and I'm your great reward. Watch what Abram says. He says, God, what can you give me? You can just hear the attitude in Abram's heart. What can you give me? How can you say that you're my shield and, and my great reward when I still don't have children? And all, this, all the camels I have, all the donkeys I have, all the, all the resources I have are going to be left to someone that I, is not even part of my family. Abram is having this conversation with God. By the way, God can handle your honesty. God would rather work with an honest Christian than a fake Christian. That's why I keep it real up on stage. God would rather work with the authentic you than the hypocritical you. So here Abram's talking to God. He goes, God, that's great that you're my shield. But maybe God was answering Abram's prayer through a different route. Maybe God was trying to tell Abram, Abram, you will have children, even though you haven't had them yet. But children are not your reward. Children are not your shield. Because you can get your prayers answered and still be discontent. Like we think, well, one of these days when I get married, I'll finally have my reward. One of these days when we have children, we'll finally have our great reward. One of these days when our kids grow up, we'll finally have our great reward. One of these days when we get that salary that we've been asking for, that car, when I finally get a Tesla, you know, whatever it is, when I get that house, when I get this, when I'm debt free, I'll finally have my reward. And God goes, that's not your reward. Because all the desires that you could get granted do not equal success. God was saying, Abram, let me be your reward. Let me be the one who fulfills you. I am your soul sufficiency. I can do for you what no boy or girl could do for you. God is a greater reward than a spouse, a child, a career, a parent. I'm telling you, everything else in this life is shaky ground. But once you realize that Christ is your reward, everything else is a bonus. Every other relationship is just a bonus. People come and go. I, I didn't realize that my faith was so connected to my dad until he passed. You don't realize where your faith is at until something is taken from you. And then you realize, oh, I had staked so much of my happiness and my peace and my sufficiency and my significance and my purpose 
with that relationship. And when that relationship was taken, I felt like my life was taken. And God goes, no, 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 I'm still your reward. I'm still your reward. God was trying to show Abram, I am your reward. And you will have children, but those are a bonus. Those prayers getting answered are a bonus. I'm your shield and your great reward. Abram says, God, everything I have is about to go to my servant, and I don't have anything else. And then the word of the Lord came. I want the band to come up. The word of the Lord came to Abram, and he said this, this man will not be your heir but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took Abram outside. He took Fred the frog outside the well. He took Paul outside of victory. When my father passed, I came into our church and, and I was angry. Um, and because I was like, Dad, why did you build such a big auditorium? And I was like, why did you build such, such a big ministry and 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 my mom she said Paul in a few years I feel like God's telling me that you're supposed to step in as pastor and I knew that it resonated in my heart I knew that was what God was speaking to me too and she said it might be five years ten years and the day came it was 2014 she said this is the year and I was 28 and just had my first son Liam and and I walked into this room and I thought man I wish we would have built something smaller <laughs> it's like this room would have made sense in Houston Texas or Los Angeles but Tulsa, Oklahoma, like, I, I was, I was, I was so um, discouraged, and I was looking in my own well, and I was thinking, man, you know, our best days are behind us, and I was saying things, and I was, I was giving myself a pity party, walking through this room, and I had this thought, I should call one of my dad's old friends, so I called this guy, and I said, hey, um, would you just, like, speak some words of encouragement, I'm just feeling I'm just feeling like I'm, that our best days are behind us and that, you know, we're going to have to like shut down the camp and have to give the Dream Center away to some other church that can sustain it because I just don't know if we're going to be able to pay the bills for certain things and I don't know that I have the faith to, to cast vision like my dad did and, and I'm so small and I'm such a, like a frog, you know, I'm Fred the Frog and, and he said, I want you to meet me down in Houston buy a ticket and come down to Houston. I was like, what's in Houston? He said, just come down there. So I bought a ticket, and this was a couple months before I stepped in as pastor, and he said, meet me at this place. And I went there and pulled up the, the Google Maps, and, and it was Lakewood Church. I walked in, and it's an 18,000-seat auditorium, and I was like, this is big. And he's in there with me, and he goes, yeah. And he goes, you could fit victory in here like four times. And I was like, yeah, you could. And... Um, and in walks Joel Osteen. He walks into the room. He goes, hey, Paul. And I was like, you know my name? And I was, I was so nervous. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I've, I've watched a couple of your sermons. I was like, oh, no. I was like, what did you think, though? <laughs> you know? I was like, it's good or bad? He's like, no, no. He's like, you got what it takes. And, man, I started crying. I was like, I don't feel like I do. And he said, I didn't feel that way either when my dad passed. And he said, people started leaving our church when I stepped in to preach, and I started having a pity party, and I thought, I'll never be as good as my dad. And he said, I was, you know, he reflected on that frog. He said, I was like, I was like that frog that was stuck in a well, just so fear-filled and negative and discouraged and defeated and apathetic. I had lost my passion. And um, he said, God began to stretch my thinking, stretch my faith, and get me out of the well. And he said, I took a couple of 
different missions trips to other countries where there's churches in like South Korea where there's like a million people who go to church on a Sunday. And there's people, there's churches in Africa. By the way, this week I'm preaching in Africa. I'm going to Ghana. So pray for me this week. Um, he said, I, I went to places in Africa and, and they're experiencing revival. 50,000 people sitting in one place for church every Sunday. And he said, I looked up to heaven. I said, God, if you can do it for them, you can do it for me. If you can do it for Dr. Cho, you can do it for me. If you did it for Billy Graham, you can do it. He said, you got to start believing that the same God who did it for Moses and Abram, that we're the seed of Abraham. And Abram cried out to God and said, God, how could you do this? And the word of the Lord said, this is not what's going to happen. And, and God leads him outside. Look at this in verse 5, Genesis 15, verse 5. God leads Abram outside and he says, look up at the sky. This week, I want you to go outside. And when it starts getting dark at like 3.30 in the afternoon, <laughs> what is happening, God? <laughs> Did we just, our time zone just got flipped. But when it gets dark at like 3.30 or 4, look up at the sky and look at the stars. And this is what God told Abram. He says, look up and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. You've been asking me for one kid. I'm going to give you the nations, Abram. You've been asking me to pay off one bill. I'm about to make your whole family debt free. You've been asking me for one kid's scholarship. I'm going to scholarship all your children through that school. You've been asking me so that you could have one car for your whole family. I'm going to give you two vehicles. Listen, if, if God knows you're going to use whatever he gives you to be a blessing to other people, the Bible says that God desires to bless his children, that God came to give you life and life more abundantly, that God wants you to be a blessing to other people, that God wants his church to stand strong and take possession and expand the kingdom of God. And we are in a battle for territory right now. I'm telling you right now, there is a kingdom of darkness that is buying every square inch that they can around the world of real estate. They want real estate on MTV, on Netflix, on Amazon. And they are, I mean, there is a kingdom of darkness that is pumping confusion into the next generation. And if the church does not wake the heck up and start taking ground and living with a vision of faith, we will lose a generation. This is about kids, minds, and hearts. Why do we have a school? Why do we have a dream center that's involved in schools, that's doing after-school care, that's taking care of as many kids as we can? Because we know that the world will be shaped by those six-year-olds. In the next 20 years, their worldview will be leading our city. Their worldview will be leading our government. And if we don't get into the minds and hearts of kids and teenagers now and get involved in the real estate where they are on media, on technology, on, on online, in schools, then we're going to miss our opportunity. We have a window of opportunity right now. This is why we have Camp Victory. This is why we do summer camps. This is why we keep on continuing to go after teenagers and, and, and kids because we know their lives are worth saving. Their hearts are worth rescuing. And, and, and listen, it's a, it, it costs a whole lot less money to raise boys to be mighty men of God than to mend men who, who, who are now in their 30s and 40s who grew up without any church involved in their life, who grew up in fatherless homes and grew up in, in, in parts of towns where there was nothing that was going after them to minister to them. And that's why our church is involved. 
because we recognize we can get in there sooner. We can bring hope and healing and transformation. We can get people out of a, a spirit of fear and into a place of faith. We can lift up families. We can raise up couples. We can bring restoration to people. But it requires people like you sitting in the room going, maybe God wants to do something bigger through me than I thought. Maybe God's wanting me to dream bigger than just what vacation I could take someday. Maybe God wants me to fund entire missions projects for this church. Maybe God wants me to be the guy that writes the check that buys 70 acres for the Dream Center so that they can start hosting camps every summer for those boys and girls. Maybe God wants me to start a school. Maybe God wants me to build an orphanage. Maybe God wants to use me as a business person to, to be the guy that comes into Victory Christian School and says, how many boys and girls are on the waiting list that can't afford to get in here? I want a scholarship, a hundred of them. I want them all to come into this school and sit in chapels and sit in Bible classes. What if God wanted to use you to do something greater than you could imagine? Imagine the possibilities. Count the stars if you can. And Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. God credited it to Abram. He said, okay. I'm going to do it. I'm making a covenant with you. It's going to happen. Sure enough, it happened. Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. I mean, the nation of Israel was birthed through an imagination, through a dream, through a vision. Here's, here's real quickly three ways that I think we can live this message out. Number one, you got to choose who your source is. Who is your source? The pastor is not your source. The church is not your source. Your employer is not your source. You gotta choose who your source is. If you're gonna start dreaming bigger than your imagination, you gotta choose who your source is. Man, if the church would just give me a car like they keep giving these single parent moms a car, like they gave that girl Emily a car who volunteers in the church. By the way, Emily just got married yesterday. Come on. She's one of our faithful volunteers here. She walked to church for almost two years, walked in the cold, and people in the church decided, let's bless that girl with a Lexus. They gave her a car. I could just hear someone going, well, I wish someone would give me a Lexus. <laughs> Paul, aren't you my source? Jehovah Pauly, Doherty. <laughs> no, I'm not. Jehovah Jireh is. And he sits on the throne of heaven and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And Victory Church is not your source. If Victory would just pay my bills. If my employer would just give me a raise, your employer is not Jehovah, your pastor is not Jehovah, your church is not Jehovah, your boyfriend's not Jehovah, your husband's not Jehovah, your ex-husband's not Jehovah. You have a king who sits on the throne and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Stop looking at people as if they are your source. He is your source. And once you realize he's your source, then you can serve people. You can love people. You can give with no strings attached. Because you go, no, 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 I don't need you to pay me back. God's got it. This was just a seed. Because God's got me. He is my provider. Number two, this is what David said. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. He takes care of my needs, right? All right, number two, number two. Um, remember what he's done in the past. In order to dream for the future, you've got to rehearse the past. So you've got to go over God's track record. This is not his first rodeo. 
He's been doing stuff long before you got here. He's the God who parted the Red Sea. He's the God who who opened the barren womb of Sarai. He's the God who gave Hannah a baby when no one thought she would ever get pregnant. He's the same God who changed the heart of the king for Esther to save the Jews from a holocaust. He's the same God who took out Goliath. He's the same God who opened the Jordan River, who brought down the walls of Jericho. He's the same God who gave favor to Nehemiah so that when Nehemiah prayed the king would let him go and rebuild the walls and he's the same God who gave Nehemiah acceleration to build the walls in 52 days he's the same God who opened a fish's mouth and paid Peter's taxes he's the same God who raised Lazarus from the dead he's the same God who helped Peter walk on water he's the same God who built the church in Acts and added to the church 5,000 people in one day. Paul, he's the same God who gave Billy Joe a church and Oral Roberts a university and Billy Graham a dream to see stadiums packed with people getting saved. He's the same God who gave Reinhard Bonnke favor in Africa to see a million people get saved in one moment in Nigeria. He's the same God who moved for Dr. Cho in South Korea. He's the same God who heals and restores and redeems. The church has got to wake up. We're sleeping when we should be dreaming and moving forward with faith. I believe God's calling people in this church to do something that no one in your family's ever done. Some of you came from messed up families. If you came from a family that's got a a long line of some mess ups, I want you to just stand up because God wants to do something powerful through your life. Come on. You are going to be the first one in your family that breaks that generational curse. You're going to be the first one in your family that leads people to Christ by the masses. You'll be the first one in your family that has a functional home, peace, restoration. You'll be the first one to do that. That You know what it is. Come on. If you believe it by faith, just lift your hands to Jesus. You're going to be the first one in your family that does it. God wants you to dream bigger. If you're sitting here today and you're in a lot of debt and you believe that God wants you to be a debt-free man, a debt-free woman, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for those in this room. You, you came in here and there's a lot of financial debt, stress, worry. How am I going to pay for it? God's saying, I want you to imagine the possibilities. Imagine what you could do as a debt-free man, as a debt-free woman. Imagine who you could help. Imagine the blessing you could be for your family, for the nations of the earth. If you came in here today with an addiction and God's saying, I want you to imagine yourself free, free from that addiction. Stand up. Come on. Today's your day to stand, to say, I'm going to walk in freedom over these addictions. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine what you could do with all that time that you wasted on that addiction. Now you got time to be purposeful, time to do something for God, time to do something for the kingdom, time to write, time to sing, time to preach, time to witness time to build, time to create. All right, I'm not done preaching. Can you give me like three more minutes? Take a seat. Let me give you the third point right here. If you have a need, sow a seed. And again, this this might sound old school. You go, yeah, yeah, I remember Oral Roberts saying that in the 80s, but I'm telling you, it is biblical. Every time our family had a need, I watched as mom and dad would sow seeds. They would sow seeds with their time. If they didn't have money, they'd give time. 
They said, we are going to go and volunteer at, at, uh, at the um, day center. We're going to go volunteer. We're going to go serve soup. We're going to go downtown. We're going to give groceries. Uh, we don't have money this year for Christmas presents. We're going to go and we're going to just love on some people. We're going to go pray for some people. We can't bring them presents, so we're just going to show up, you know, just love on people. We are your present. <laughs> I tried to do that one year with my wife. I was like, I am your great reward. And she was like, did you get me anything this year? I was like, I am your present. No. But every time there was a need, we would sow a seed, and we would watch as God showed up, and God would move through that generous spirit. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Our church gives a tithe every year above. We give more than 10% away to other ministries. Someone asked me, they said, does Victory tithe as a church? I said, yes. I said, we as a church, we set aside more than 10% of our budget that we give away to other ministries in, in other places, some in this city, many in other nations, other ministries that are helping people like rescue homes and orphanages and churches and uh, different charities out there that are helping meet practical needs for people, feed the hungry kind of uh, operations that are happening in other countries. And every time we do that as a church, God continues to bring into the storehouse whatever we need to cover for what, what, what God's called us to do. Whenever I was afraid that we were gonna have to shut down the camp and the Dream Center and the school, and Joel Osteen was talking to me in his big auditorium, you know, and he was saying, Paul, you gotta lift your eyes up. He said, God's got something for you. You got what it takes. I left that room as a changed man on the inside because I had hopped outside of my well. Once you hop outside the well, once you see the Grand Canyon and Yosemite and you start seeing Turkey Mountain and you start seeing beyond your well, you start going, okay, God, let's do this. I walked back into this room. Nothing in this room had changed, but I changed. Before God changes your house, he changes you. And then you walk back in your house and you go, I got this. I got authority over this house. Before God builds your house, he builds you. Before God would build Abram's family, he built him. He said, Abram, get out from your tent because the father that I'm calling you to be starts right here, right now. Before you have a biological kid, I'm gonna teach you how to be a dad. And the greatest legacy you leave your kids, the greatest inheritance you leave them is not money, it is faith. It is faith. It is a spirit of faith that you close your eyes and you begin to imagine what God wants to do in you and through you. And then you open your eyes and you see it come to pass. I want you to stand your feet all over this place. Imagine the possibilities, my friends. What does God wanna do in you, through you, for you, for his glory? And God will use broken families. God will use broken men and broken women, imperfect people. The world remembers Winston Churchill as one of the greatest leaders in the 1900s, standing up against Hitler, leading Great Britain in a, in a huge, valiant fight against the Nazis, against the communists. And and yet Winston Churchill, if you study him, you realize this was a broken man. This was a man of insecurities, a man of flaws, a man who had, did not have his act together. And yet God used him in his finest hour. That was the movie that they made, The Finest Hour, to stand and to speak.
and to rise up in courage. Don't ever think that God can't use you because of the mistakes you've made or the family you grew up with or the flaws you have. God wants to do something great through families like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the liar, the deceiver. God wants to do something great through families like David and Solomon. God wants to do something great through people like Peter, people who don't have it all together but say, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. And, and it takes requiring faith that he wants to use you, that he wants to bless you. I want you to close your eyes all over this place. God's calling you. If you're here today and you need to jump out of that well of negativity, of apathy, of settling for mediocrity, of settling for a lesser vision than what God has for your life, you're here today and you say, I need to get my faith beating again. I need to get my faith kicking again. It's like the heartbeat of faith has stopped and I need to get it beating again. I need to get my vision again. I need to start imagining again. I need to start dreaming with God what he wants to do in me and through me. I want to be one of those people that gives more than I've ever given before. I want to be one of those people that says, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to be one of those people that does something great in my generation that leaves an inheritance of faith. If that's you across this room, I want you to lift your hand up all over this room from the front to the back. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 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 yes. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If you rise up with faith, God wants to do something greater than you can imagine. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right with God. If that's you, today you can receive his mercy, his grace, his salvation, his forgiveness. If that's you, just lift your hand up today. Awesome, awesome. Man, I really sense God's wanting to call those down today that lifted your hand on that first time, that you are taking a step of faith to believe that God is gonna use you in your lifetime to do something bigger than your imagination. If you raised your hand for either of those, would you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar right now. Just take a step of faith. And as you come down to this altar, we're gonna sing. We're gonna take a few minutes just to seal this moment in worship and in prayer. Yeah, let's cheer on. Today is a day of new beginnings. Today is a day of new starts. Today is a day of faith. Today is a day of declaring, God, I believe you can do the impossible. I believe you can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we ask, hope, dream, or imagine.
children. He's calling you to dream on a higher level, to think on a higher level, to speak on a higher and I was 16 and in the first chapter it said he was a young teenage boy playing basketball and he collapsed on the court began coughing up blood as a 17 year old boy was rushed home and they didn't have money to take him to the hospital and he was living in Ada, Oklahoma and um, at 17 years old he was dying dying of tuberculosis and coughing up blood and his mama was holding his hand and I remember reading this book and I was crying just reading the story and he said I remember making a deal with God I said God if you save me I'll give my whole life for you if you save me if you if you heal me if I get up from this bed and I don't die I'll give my whole life for you and I remember reading the rest of the book as he you know started preaching and traveling and doing these healing crusades and then Halfway through the book, he said, I had this dream for a university, but I was 46 years old and, and um, no banks wanted to work with me. Every bank in, in Oklahoma and in Tulsa thought I was ridiculous, that I was foolish, that, that my idea was just absurd and no one was going to come to a Christian university. And he said, it's going to be a division one university. We're going to play sports against all the big schools. And I was reading the book and I started dreaming, I started dreaming. I started thinking, God, you were stirring him in his 40s with this dream. You want to stir anyone at any age with dreams. If they'll just sit and, and begin to believe, God, what do you want to do? And, um, and even when no banks would work with him, God ended up giving him favor and lining up in the rest of his history across the street. And, and I remember my senior year when that university almost shut down in 2007. And, um, and God provided a miracle through the Green family to, to, sit, to help save that university. But I remember just all these different stories. And I started thinking as I was praying for different ones of you, I was thinking, God, what do you want to do? There's, some, there's people in this room that we're going to be talking about in the next 10 years and telling our kids about that, hey, they went to our church. They sat in the 11 a.m. service. That kid that packed out the BOK Center was... He was part of the worship team over here, right? 
and that, that artist over there that's now making, you know, animation for Disney, they, they went here and they're impacting culture there. God wants you to influence every field for his glory. God wants to do something through you that would cause the nations to go, oh my God. And you say, yes, it was God. God is good. And I tell you what, God wants to do something special through your family. I believe God wants to heal families. God wants to set you free of addictions. God wants to give you healing and restoration in your home. And before he builds your home, he builds you. Before he changes your house, he changes the house in your heart. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm coming into the temple and I'm cleaning up today. And I'm dusting off dreams. And I'm reminding you of prayers you prayed when you were a kid and prophecies that were spoken over you when you were a teenager. And I'm fanning into flame the faith that your grandmother prayed over you and that your auntie prayed over you and that your mom prayed over you. And I'm fanning into flame visions that you've had for the kingdom. It's bigger than your imagination. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I surrender. Have your way in my life. Do what you want to do. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Help me to see what you see. To imagine the possibilities of what you could do through me. God, I'm all yours. I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for making me right with God. I am saved and I will live my life for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. You are blessed.